Welcome everybody to the Real Estate Climate Show Market Analysis with John Barr III and Marco Romero. We're going to be talking about the real estate market in Central Texas, particularly in San Antonio. And this is a patented, over here, John Barr's over here. This is a patented piece of information from John Barr himself. And if you're a professional investor, and you're interested in, or you're interested in becoming a professional investor, you need to be studying and understanding at least a little bit what's going on in your market. So John has done a lot of great work in, you know, compiling all the labor statistics and the sales mediums of houses and the, uh, you know, inventory of houses and, and every relevant economic factor and put it together into this special monthly market update. And Marco and uh, John will also be talking about relevant economic news to help you better understand where the housing market has been, where it is, and most importantly, where it's going. So without further ado, here is Marco Romero below me. And I got to get this right. I'm always... Cameras are backwards. I'm always going, and John Barr the third, and I am going to disappear while they talk and entertain you with all their great education. Well, while uh, Kirk disappears, I'm excited to do this. Thank you, John, for being on here and going over all these intricate pieces of information, the data itself. I'm excited to go over this because we're in the summer time frame, and that's typically the uh, most activity time frame of the year. Yeah, so, so I'm excited to see what you got for us. Yeah, it, it definitely. Uh, Marco and Kirk, it's good, good to have you guys uh, visiting with you guys again. Hello, everybody there in the Facebook realm. Um, yeah, like Marco said, we have, I mean, summertime is really booming and the numbers really kind of show it this month. And it's something, if you guys tuned in last month, I talked about uh, – how we had peaked two months sooner than we normally do or surpassed last month's number or last summer's numbers. And the numbers show again that we're still just really taking off. So um, without further ado, I guess we'll just kind of get right into it and start going over the numbers. And like, uh, if you guys have any questions or comments, put them below and we'll answer your questions. It's really a discussion that we might, might not be face to face or in a big room, but put your comments down below and uh, Kirk will put them across the screen and we'll talk about them as we're going through them. So give you real live feedback, real live answers right here on the spot. Yes. Yes, exactly. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump into this and we'll start going through it. There we go. So um, now remember these, I, I got numbers up here for May and June because some of the numbers, especially the unemployment and employment numbers are usually a two month lag by the time uh, I put this together. So it takes a little bit to get, get that information. So we'll go ahead and go through it. So the average sales price uh, was 273,000 or just a little over 273 in San Antonio, which is almost a 6% increase year over year. Median sales price is up to 225,000. Actually had to, you'll see on the next slide, I actually had to add another bar to my graph because prices have been going up so fast here in San Antonio, which that is a 4.9% um, increase year over year. Uh, Kirk, can we go back one slide? Not How's it feel well. when you uh, add another bar? Yeah, yeah. So the average rental price is moving right up as well. Went up 1.8% from this time last year to just over 1,500. The employment number is still looking really strong. We lost a little bit of employment here, but I think it's a lot due to the booming 
uh, population growth that we have. So employment was just over one point, almost a 1.15 million people, which is a 3.29% increase year over year. And uh, like I said, we lost 2,400 jobs from this time last month. Not that big of an issue. Uh, if I start seeing that getting the tens of thousands, then I might start to worry a little bit. Um, unemployment sitting at a 3.16, which is a 0.03 increase from this time last year. Nothing really to be concerned about. Like I said, if I start seeing that jump in a half a percent, 1% continuous month over month, then we kind of would be start sounding the alarm. Months inventory uh, rose a little bit, which is to be expected being the summer months. Uh, we're back to 3.12, which is a 0.5% increase from the previous month. And that's, meh, nothing really to be concerned about. That's a summer month. A lot of people are putting houses on the market and, um, and trying to sell them. Now, this, this information is really important. Like this is, if you guys want to be take your profession seriously and be a professional investor, you really need to understand these numbers so you can better predict like Kirk was saying, you understand where the market was, where it's at, so you can take advantage of where things are going in the future. And seeing these numbers, if you would have bought a year ago, just in the house, you're seeing a 5% increase in your return for just one year. Now, if you held a rental property and are renting that entire time, you're talking double digit returns. So that's the things that you need to understand and uh, really take into account and take your profession seriously. So first off, I love your translations here at the bottom. You have good and then you have meh. Yeah. I like a, I, I like the translation. Very nice, very nice. So the big bold know, red and go, oh crap! That's when we'll need to start worrying about it because uh, that's there you go. Things are changing. We don't, drastically. We don't want to see the oh crap with several exclamation marks. Uh, exactly. uh, hopefully, not anytime soon. But okay, so you know we have some people that have been watching uh, on repeat. We've done this a few times, but we also have some people that are newer to this. Um, and this is a lot of numbers. What are some of the pieces? That kind of stand out to you? Uh, what are the main components that we're looking at here uh, when you're looking at it that really kind of you pay attention to when you're looking at these specific numbers on this slide? This slide, uh, it really, it's the uh, employment unemployment numbers. That's what I'm really wanting to keep a track of uh, is that really unemployment because housing prices is a reflection of how the economy is doing. And you can look at the broad base when we talk about the economic uh, indicators put out by the Fed later on, you can see how the Fed is really tracking those things and other metrics that they choose. So from this one, I really kind of look at unemployment to say what is the overall health? Because if that unemployment is rising and we're losing jobs every single month, I, and they're getting, those numbers are getting bigger, I would really start to be concerned that uh, something's going on in the economy that I would start to see that boil over into real estate prices because if people are losing jobs, then they're not getting loans, they're not buying houses, inventory will start to rise and you'll start to see that reflect into the months of inventory when it's not seasonally adjusted for the average uh, months inventory for that month. So I mean, it rises and falls with the cycles, but if I start seeing it getting out of those norms, but that's because on un the unemployment and employment numbers uh, should reflect that as well. So that's why I kind of put the, meh, not really worried about it because um, unemployment is still at its historical lows. And uh, I mean, we're gaining people, we're gaining jobs. I mean, I think I talked about it last month that San Antonio was the net gain of all of the United States, all the major or all the cities. We gained the most population uh, numbers. I think it was like 24,000 and Dallas was second with like 23,000. So we gained the most people of all of San and uh, of the nation. Everybody wants to be our neighbors. I think that's what it comes down to. 
So I had a, I had a question. Um, do you know where the employ like is does the statistics tell you where the employment is coming from specifically like what sectors of the economy and and how they're they're measuring that or is it just like an an like an overview of employment because like you're saying this is really important for people if you're investing because obviously like if it's in a certain sector but if that sector for instance is in a bubble this causes more problems because if that bubble collapses and you're invested heavily in the marketing sector that is you know, needed to, like if you're a renter, right? And you need people to have jobs so they could pay for this stuff. But the sector that's growing is a sector that's having long-term problems. Is this making sense? I get what you're saying. So yeah. like uh, digging a little deeper into the unemployment, because yes, the unemployment is just a number. But if all those jobs would be created in say um, the retail space and yes. Amazon's massively disrupting that area and all of a sudden we have a massive boom in retail employment. Uh, is that what you're getting at? That if that, yeah, I don't. I don't know if you guys know Peter Schiff. Do you guys know Peter Schiff? Yeah, he's a, he's a. I I know who Peter Schiff is. So I I like I, Yeah, I like him, and he's he just started ringing the bell. He's like, shit's gonna go down soon, guys. Like, and then he's he's claiming the next year or two we're gonna see a huge economic downturn. Um, so I don't know what you guys think about that. Now I don't want to scare people and you know be that guy, but it's I think it's relevant. That's why this show is so important is because you need to start looking at all of these numbers and start thinking very seriously about what's going on. Uh, I think it's starting to get even more important. You know, it's really easy to ignore the numbers when everything's been going great for a decade, which is the longest in economic history in America that it's ever gone up like that. And I, I'm, you know, as a non-investor, as a, an idiot outsider, I'm like, geez, come on, guys. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to make sure I'm Boiling, like gathering all of my little eggs um, to do that. So anyway, um, oh, Jonathan is saying, so I'm getting wrong. So I'll let you go. I'm going to dip out again. And Jonathan has um, responded that Peter has been claiming that since 2008. So what do you, what yeah, do you guys think? I, I, that's what I said. He's always sounding the alarms. Like Peter Schiff's always one of those guys. He's very critical all the time. And it, it, it you kind of take it with a, a grain of salt is uh, if you say the economic's going to, the economic outlook's going to be bad, all the time, eventually you're going to be right. And then everybody's going to jump back in and be like, oh my God, he's a fortune teller. He saw this coming, but actually he's been saying the same thing for 10 years. Yeah, I, I follow Peter Schiff. I really like him a lot and I listen to a lot of his stuff. Uh, his claim is basically that the, um, the growth that we have, have been, has been um, inflated or kind of injected into the economy through the Fed. So he, he doesn't think it, our correction in the positive direction was ever a real one. But to go back to our slide, um, I, the kind of the number that stands out to me a little bit is the average sales price. It seems like that was kind of a, uh, a larger percentage increase being at 6%. Uh, what's the, I, I forget, I think you mentioned this before, where, where does San Antonio typically, I know the recent months, recent years has been more on the higher end. But uh, doesn't San Antonio typically fall around the two percent range, or, or, or around there, when it's um, you know average sales price increase? Um, like historically, I, to, I forget. Yeah, I'd have to go back and kind of look. I mean, it's been kind of all over the place, but it, it has been ticking back up. But it has uh, was holding steady at the three to four to five percent, but now it's kind of taking up these last couple months and really getting up there. And you'll see only when we move to the next slide, uh, you can kind of see how it's really kind of taken off where it really starts to raise some concerns. Like, yes, we have a lot of people moving here, but it's like, where are we adding jobs? And go back to what Kirk was asking. When we get to the Dallas Fed, they actually show us 
where the employment growth has been for the uh, was it March through May of 2018 versus 2017. So you can see where our employment really has uh, grown. So you can kind of see, all right, so what kind of jobs are we adding? Are we adding tech jobs or are we adding retail jobs? Highly different pay scales there. So it's something we can kind of look at to see like, how is this really moving? And that median sales price uh, has really been kind of taken off. So, I mean, Mark, unless you got anything else, we'll move on to the next slide since we're starting. Let's do it. Let's see. I want to see them fancy graphs. You yeah. added some bars on, on one of them. I, I, I had to that. add 225 into the mark because it was blowing it past. There you um, go. But this is the one um, when we we're talking about last month is usually July, which we don't have yet since we're still in July, is when we top out and surpass last year, last summer's median sales price. So you can kind of really, really quick interjection. So uh, what you're saying is, yes, we're in July. We're talking July, but you're actually reporting on data from May and June. There's a little bit of a delay while they gather all the data right. and you, you take the data and crunch it. So right. there's what we're looking at data wise is either a month or a little bit over a month um, in age. Correct. And uh, but no, just to interject, kind of... sorry, real quick, just there's a lot of people watching. So please make sure you ask some questions, um, you know, about these these bars. So I just wanted to, to interject that. Keep going, guys. OK. Um, and what I'm kind of saying, I mean, I noticed this last summer, too. If you look back to so when you see the up and down looking like a roller coaster, like when it gets up to the peak, that's your May, June, July, August months. And then it drops back back down in December uh, and you'll see it kind of jump a little bit there in December, that's because a lot of people want to have their houses before Christmas. So if you're taking that into account, uh, if you're trying to list kind of mark time to market a little bit is push to have your houses on the market either in the summertime or towards like October, November. So you can get that contract in November and close in December. That's why you see the price kind of increase right there around the December timeframe at the bottom of the cycle for the fact that uh, a lot of people are trying to get those houses closed. So there's a lot of demand. So months inventory might drop a little bit in November, more contracts are flying around. But what I was- That was a golden nugget right there, by the way. The winter time frame is kind of the slow time. So if you can try and time it right, like uh, John said, that'll really, really help in, in moving your property. Yeah, and I mean, obviously we're a year round business. If you're doing any kind of flips or selling property, if you're holding rentals, I would definitely try to make those leases end in the March timeframe. So if you do need to rehab and you're wanting to sell, you can do your month or two rehab and have it on the market for the highest uh, inventory moving when the prices increase the most based on the last six years, as you can see on this. But I mean, obviously we're a business. We have to renovate when we can renovate, sell when we can sell, but doesn't mean we can try to push a little harder to get those on the market at the right time frame or structure your business to where you're getting a lot of your inventory in the winter, spring, so you can have it on for sale in the summer and not quite hit the uh, fall, winter time when things kind of slow down. But uh, what I was referring to is something I noticed last year is 2017 summer, we really pushed up uh, at a pretty significant rate. Um, and now you look at 2018, that thing's just taken off like a rocket. And we July is usually when it peaks out for the summertime and we've just taken off uh, drastically this summer as far as the prices go. So I would be curious to see how much longer it goes. But I mean, we were saying it last year too, is this can't keep going on forever. Cause you look at now from 
January of 2011 when things were at the bottom to uh, or that 2011 when things were really kind of at the bottom when they started going up, we were at 135,000 and now we're at 225. We're talking $90,000 median price increase in just seven years. I was like, that's a very, very high rate of um, appreciation, much for, uh, much higher than the average appreciation rate, which is usually around three to four percent. We're averaging over that time frame five to six. So we can't keep going up that way without wages increasing. And you hear all the time in the news that wages aren't going up and they're going up very slowly. So it's going to be interesting to see how much longer this can continue like this um, before you just price out because they're not building houses uh, in the sub 200 thousands. And there's very, very few building under the 220 mark. So there's not a lot of inventory uh, for houses in those price ranges. Kind of a squeeze. And I'm sure you'll go into that more detail later. Yeah, yeah, definitely will. Definitely will. So um, this is the stuff that's important, guys. I mean, if you're watching, it's like you really need to pay attention to these things to see how the market reacts. Uh, so you can time things in the seasons. You can understand how the market goes and look past. I mean, every professional investor from Warren Buffett down to the small little guys like us, we all pay attention to this information or need to be paying attention to this information so you're not just uh, stuck if something changes. I was actually visiting with a gentleman last night that he was flipping in Houston. He was younger, 21, 22, and was just flipping houses, not paying attention to anything economically, was doing high-end uh, renovations. And he said, like, like a light switch, people quit buying. I mean, lenders quit lending, and they lost everything with their business. And now he's a lot smarter and pay attention a lot more. And he's like, but he's like, back then we were just making money and weren't paying attention to anything. And the market taught us a very big lesson, and they lost – Three of the renovations they were going at a time back to the lenders had to sell their homestead and move all, uh, back as well. So, like, you really need to be paying attention to these things so that does not happen to you. That's like, uh, I think the theme of the show is Warren. I, I chose, I don't know if you guys agree with this, <laughs> Warren, Warren Buffett's two rules of investing. You know, rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one. And exactly. this, is, this is how you actually do that is you do the, what John is talking about. Okay, bye. Exactly. So let's move on to the, the next slide, and you can kind of see our, our rents as well. Um, we haven't gone up as much before we planned out, and that's something that uh, kind of happens a lot. And I, my analogy that I use, everybody understands like the stock market and like the bond market and things like that, where stocks drastically shoot up, but they're very risky and they can fall back down. And I attribute that to equity and median sales prices as they shoot up at five, six, seven percent, uh, and even 10% uh, at some months, but they can fall just as fast as you can. I don't have the data showing back to the recession, but they go back down that fast. Where rents are more like your bond, they just gradually increase over time. Uh, but that's why they go up traditionally about one, one to two percent a month, where prices go up from five to 10. So those, those yields really get compressed. Uh, on your returns, so it's more rental properties. But you can kind of see here, just like the sales prices, uh, median sales price, that you have seasons here as well. So we talk with a lot of people, or I always mention, like structure your leases to where if your tenant does not want to renew a lease, it's ending in March or April because you get the highest rent, the highest demand, school's ending, people are moving around, people are moving into the state, out of the state, moving houses. That's when everybody's moving around. So you want to have your house available during that time. So if you're on the market, you've got a rental property, structure your lease. If you're buying it in November, 
structure it to where, hey, the lease is going to end in four months. And then if you want to renew, well, then we'll do a 12 month. Because, I mean, you never know when you're going to find that good rental property. So keep that in mind when you're analyzing rental properties and when you want to list uh, and how you want to structure your leases. Yeah, you've a few. I don't know what happened there. All right. You've mentioned this a few times in our talks in uh, these um, updates, these market updates, but I think it's a really valuable key, especially for the landlords that are out there that, you know, structuring your leases to time your vacancies with the peaks of the rental market is very critical. If you notice from this graph, these peaks don't last very long. And if you can time it properly, um, you can set yourself not only to get the higher rent amount, which that's ideal and that's what you're shooting for, but additionally being able to rent your home quicker and have less vacancy time. So there's like a, a double benefit there. So if you're trying to approach this from a business standpoint and be a professional, um, then you need to be looking at timing your leases and putting it, in, putting yourself in the best opportunity and timeline to succeed. And this is a great example of that. I'm glad you went over it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, something to watch. Uh, I add this graph in here just so as an illustration of you can see how slowly rents do increase, but they do increase over time, but more so the cycles and how that median sales price can fluctuate in a given year. Because, I mean, you just look in the time frame from last year. It's like we hit 1500 last year, but it dropped all the way down to 1400 in December. $100 a month. I mean, it's $1,200 a year that is – money that should be in your pocket but if you timed it wrong you run in for 1400 versus 1500 so that really will impact your your yield and your return on your your rental properties so that's why i kind of add this in here so you guys can see those things and really kind of structure your leases that way it's, i mean it's what i do with the rental properties that i have is they're all on march april lease renewals so and then if that tenant doesn't want to renew and i want to sell the property Hey, I'm hitting that uh, summer time frame. It gives me two months to do any kind of renovations and get it on the market to really kind of catch that next wave of this rising market that we're currently in. So, Mark, you got anything else? No, that's it. I mean, as we move on to the next slide, again, uh, we have a, a lot of watchers, viewers, people uh, lurking in the shadows, just watching. I hope you're getting some good information here but you'll get even more impactful information for yourself and your business if you ask some questions. We have John here. Uh, he's going over the overlaying facts here, the data, the graphs and whatnot. But if you have specific questions, you have the expert right here to be able to kind of answer them and uh, give you some guidance maybe in your personal situation. So take advantage of this Facebook Live situation where we're live and we can go over your spe specific questions as well. Exactly. So it's a... Uh... Move on to the next one, and uh, this is the unemployment rate. This is a uh, this is the graph that I really like and enjoy and consistently watch uh, to see where jobs are being not so where jobs are being created, but how our employment is looking here in San Antonio. So I can track it back 20 years, and you can see the last two recessions that we had. That first the first spike on the left that is the dot com bubble, and you can kind of see that one wasn't as hard as a hit as the real estate recession, but you can see that those first couple of months, how fast that unemployment rate really started to tick up. Uh, that's why I kind of watched those things. And even the last, the 2008 one, I mean, that one really from looks like basically May to January, it went from a 3.5 up to a 7.5. So 
and something you really want to pay attention to why I watch that. And if I'd be sounding that alarm, if I saw percent increases or half a percent increases month over month, that's when I'd really start to be concerned because you can see that real estate market didn't bottom out here until 2011, but it started in 2008. So it was a three-year time frame where prices started falling. So it's a, and you can see that unemployment shot up in a matter of six months, stayed there for almost a better part of a year. So it's an early indicator that, hey, prices are going to start falling and deflating. Let's offload these properties because unemployment's really skyrocketing. Let's get rid of some of our assets that are not performing like we would to readjust uh, your portfolio rental properties or adjust your strategy and cash positions to take advantage because the best deals are going to be at the bottom. Because if you were buying in 2011, uh, prices at 135 and you sell now, it's 90,000 in equity that was just created in your median sales price. So we got, we got a question and I, I think you guys will cover this, but I thought I would just pop it up there. And, and also I think this is the first time I've seen Harry uh, Bermudez. So welcome Harry, if I've missed you in the past. Um, but Harry asks, what are the best areas for investment in San Antonio? And you're going to cover that later, right? Yes, we go over the best zip codes and uh, price ranges based on uh, months of inventory, which is kind of really the desirability of a price range or zip code of how many houses are being listed and how fast the market is consuming those. So we'll kind of go over that here in a little bit. So Harry, I so, appreciate you putting a comment, but uh, hang stick in around. Got some of those. So yeah, you got to stick around. Hey, but give a quick sneak peek. Uh, What's what's one zip code you're you're watching? I know we're going over this in a little bit, but just quick sneak peek. Uh, seven eight two three three. That is seven eight two three three. Um, I ten sixteen oh four corridor just to the west of Live Oak, kind of where Randolph Brooks uh, corporate headquarters at, right where they're building that giant mega center of I don't even know what's all going to be, and it's got all kinds <laughs> of stuff that that they're building there. But the seven eight two three three zip code has been at the top, it's stayed at the top, and then it's got the lowest month's inventory again, and prices have really pushed up in that area. We have a, uh, a renovation that we bought, renovated, held for a year, now listed it, and the price increases in that zip code in that neighborhood are just, it's insane. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so hang in there, and we'll definitely. Uh, he's, he's got a couple more questions, but I'll ask you later uh, when you get to that section. So Harry, stick around. Thanks again. And if you have other questions, pop them in there, Harry, and we'll, I will make sure to be the voice of the people. <laughs> there you go. So uh, let's hop to the next slide and uh, we'll kind of go over it. We've got one more slide to go over and then we'll get into the, the numbers and the price range of zip codes that uh, Harry was just asking those questions about. So this is something that I didn't originally have, but realized that I can manipulate the data that I had to figure it out. So you can kind of see what I was talking about, like when prices stopped deflating. And basically it was the late 2011, early to January 2012, when we really hit the bottom or year over year, the prices actually went down. So it went down 6% from basically January 2011 to January 2012. Prices actually went down 6%. But now the caveat to that is you look six months further, from January to June, that number went from a negative six to positive nine. So you're talking a 17% swing in appreciation uh, in a matter of six months. So you can kind of see how fast these markets turn around and prices start going back up. 
So it's something that's why I kind of track these things over time to see. And I also want to track the trend to where you can see for a while there until these last couple of months, it looked like we hit 10, we hit 10 a couple of times, we hit 11, and then price of the appreciation rate started to compress and go down. But now it's kind of starting to rise again. Last month, it, would, it went back up to 9%. Uh, this month was at 6 So I'm expecting that number to slowly going to get compressed because it's been going running too hot for too long, in my opinion. But it, it keeps going. But, I mean, over time, I think those numbers would have to go back down because we can't keep appreciating at the rate that we're at. Uh, otherwise, I mean, we're, affordable housing is already becoming a problem. And San Antonio is known for being a quote-unquote affordable city as far as prices go. So something that I kind of keep track of to see what is the current trend. And, I mean, with this last month, I'd still say it's on a downward trend to slow down as far as appreciate year-over-year appreciation. But another month could come around and it could take off again. So we'll kind of keep, uh, keep up with that and look. So Mark, you got anything? Some of the some of yeah, some of the key things that stood out to me when when you're talking here is um, number one, um, you know, the crisis kind of happened around 2007, 2008, um, you know, in, in the last real estate crash. But you mentioned that the prices didn't really bottom out until right around 2011 timeframe. So prices were really decreasing for a while, and that was a great opportunity to acquire properties at a discounted rate and uh, it wasn't you know there was a pretty long period there roughly three years in which you know prices were being depressed so uh, that's something to be mindful of that you know things can take a little bit of time to move around but at the same time as well swings can also occur pretty quickly negatively and positively just like you mentioned here in this graph and so that's why it's so critical for you as an investor and people watching to uh, be paying attention to data like this, you know, researching, learning, uh, becoming professional at how you look at the industry you are operating in so that you can um, identify the indicators quickly and you can make adjustments quickly so that you can maximize um, your ability to generate returns and, and, and to make adjustments as needed. So those were kind of the key items that stood out to me, and I like that we're really getting in depth there. Correct. And, uh, I mean, something that um, – I, I read this in a book, one of the books that I, I'm currently reading, and the way they uh, advertise, because everyone's worried, like, oh, my God, I don't want to buy when prices are going down. How, down, how far down can they go? Um, and he really made an argument. It's like you really got to switch your mentality. So if you hear on the market or it's like prices are falling, prices are falling, don't think of it as like, oh, my God, I'm losing equity. Think of it more as, oh, my God, everything just went on 10% sale. Prices just dropped. Because I wish I had the data to show back, and I do have it on a certain zip code of what rents do in falling markets. Rents don't – I mean, I can't say they don't go down, but they hold steady. And – so what that's doing is when prices are falling but rents are holding steady, that means it's less money that you actually have to put down on the property, and but your cash flow increases. So it's increasing your returns and yields on uh, what kind of return you're getting on your, your capital that you're putting into property. So when prices start falling, really just kind of tighten your criteria up and making sure that it's a good long-term investment. I'm a big believer in cash flow not investing for appreciation and appreciation alone, 
because as you can see, that number turns around and goes the other direction very quickly. And if you're over leveraged and you're not able to get a tenant in there and you're shelling out, even with the tenant, you're shelling out two, $300 to maintain a mortgage or hard money loan or whatever you're in, you're going to be in real big trouble. So, but if prices start falling, kind of get excited a little bit. So you, everything's kind of going on sale of what you can purchase it for, but rents tend to hold steady because think of the mentality of the average person that's not in real estate. If they're hearing prices are falling, prices are falling, prices are falling, they're not going to go buy a house because they're thinking they're going to go put money into to buy something and prices are going to continue to fall. So they're going to rent and wait for prices to rise back up. But really what you want to be doing is buying when prices are falling because that's when everybody's wanting to rent. So there's actually an upward pressure on rent and people don't move and supply and demand. There's a high demand for rental properties, but not enough supply that pushes prices up and people will tend to want to stay in the rental property and pay $25, $50 more a month versus trying to move to a new rental property or trying to buy a house because prices are coming down. So that data actually never hits the MLS because they stay in the rental property and prices increase. So it's something to kind of really keep in mind if prices do fall and get that in your head and your mentality now that things start selling. Kirk, I see you there. Uh, prices start falling, um, that, that's good. And think of it in a, a different way, not as, oh, my God, I don't want to buy it because prices are falling. That was huge. You should totally, on the replay, listen to that like three-minute segment over again. That was awesome. No, that was good. And we have a question that I think is relevant, so you can keep going. So I wanted to give you some more food to think about. And I love the mentality idea. I think, again, it's one of the big things about this show, guys. I really think it's important to understand the mentality. I mean, when I was back in sales, just selling knives, and whenever we would increase the price of the knives, and they were really expensive knives, as a salesperson, I was freaking out. I had the wrong mentality. I'm going to sell less. But then the managers would tell us, hey, that's actually an increase because every time you sell a knife, you get more money. Now, that's not exactly the same thing you're saying, but mentality is so critical that if you understand the numbers and you understand what John is teaching you and explaining you with these numbers, then you can have the right mentality when you go approach a house. And what Matt Smith asks below, which I think is somewhat relevant, uh, I, I think it's relevant to what you guys are talking about here, is, um, oh, it's a little bit different, but you guys can figure it out. Do hot, hot, do hot markets get hit the hardest? Do hot markets get hit the hardest? Do hot markets uh, get hit the hardest? I, I've never experienced a downturn, so I can't attest to I know for a fact. But what I can look at is, okay, where did markets get hit the hardest in 2008? They got hit hard in Phoenix. They got get hit hard in Florida, Arizona, places where values were increasing at exponential rates where they were increasing 10, 15, 20% year over year for extended periods of time, and they did get hit the hardest. So they're, they're getting outside of the norm to where an investor, if they're buying only for appreciation, and everybody's hearing that, oh my God, prices are increasing at 20% a year, that drives a lot of people into there that aren't even wanting to buy it for actual investment. They're just trying to gamble saying, hey, I'm going to buy this property and it's going to go up and I'm going to sell it in a year or two. They don't buy it on a fundamental level that can the investment sustain itself if the if properties values start falling via the cash flow or your rent? Uh, and I, I've kind of had a conversation last night, a, a meetup that we have every month, as like stress testing your portfolio is what I use. And the guy really and um, uh, like that is saying if you've got a bunch of properties 
what happens to your portfolio if prices all of a sudden fall or price inventory increases uh, two, three months or it takes longer to sell. Instead of selling in three months, it's going to take six months. What's going to happen to your portfolio at that point? Think about that. Run those scenarios through because it's likely that it could happen. It could also not happen just as easily. But you also want to be prepared. So to comment to hot markets get hit the hardest, it depends on what's causing it to be a hot market. In the scenario of Florida and Phoenix, it got hit the hardest because it went up the hardest because people weren't buying on a fundamental level. They were buying, not even renting it, holding it for a year, and then selling it to capture the equity when all of a sudden their interest rates spiked and they couldn't rent the properties and they were losing five, six, seven hundred $700 a month over what they were renting it for, that's when you have a problem because you can only sustain losing $700, $800,000 a property across so many properties for so long. And then when prices go from 200 down to 100 and you're leveraged at 200, yeah, that's going to cause a lot of problems. So you kind of got to look at what's driving that market and what's driving it to make it hot. So here in San Antonio, uh, that's why when we go over the job statistics that we're going to go over here in a little bit from the Fed, you've got to look at like what's creating the jobs, where are they coming from, what is the pay scale, and can they afford to service the debt based on the current market and the jobs that are being created. So, uh, Marco, do you, you got anything? Yeah, to so, you know, really quick feedback on that. Um, yes, when it comes to looking at the hot markets, when you look at any market, if you go back far enough, you can find that there's generally a norm. And um, John was kind of referencing this. Whenever a market is going outside of its norm, <clears throat> it's naturally going to pull and swing in the opposite direction when – um, you know, it regresses to the mean in a sense. So if it's really high outside of its norm, it makes the correction that much harder. So um, that was pretty typical in the high appreciation markets last go around, like uh, John mentioned. Las Vegas was another good example of that as well. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and I know Matt put another question up that he moved for, or not a comment that he moved from uh, Denver to Nebraska just because of prices. And that because it got come to San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the more people here, we got a nice little haven. Where San Antonio and Texas in general, you can see that we didn't get hit anywhere near as hard as a lot of the other markets did. I mean, we kind of chugged right along. Where our, our employment only hit seven, but the national average was hitting like eight, nines, and tens. Um, so we, we got a good, a pretty good economy and market down here. I think it's really, I have a, my own little theory on why that may be. And I think it's a lot of uh, how our tax structure is handled here, where we have very high property tax, which is pushes the cash flow down uh, because of the property taxes we pay, where if somebody jumps to a market to where they can get $800 cash flow, where San Antonio or Texas, you're going to get three to four because property taxes are so high. So that kind of keeps it more stable, keeps people from just jumping in, wanting to make money and jump out, uh, makes it less volatile in my opinion. But that's we'll have uh, to do a, a separate video on your theory. That'll be a whole nother. Uh, it'll be John Barr's theory. I like it. So, um, well, let's, yeah, yeah, let's go to the next one. So, yeah, let's move. Yeah, I agree, Matt. There is a lot of good people here in San Antonio. I'm a transplant as well from uh, Kansas, and I've just moved my family down here, my brother and my uh, family, so or my parents. So I like here in San Antonio. Nice weather. So, so now uh, the where to market section, and this is where uh, Matt, I hope he's still on, 
uh, can get the questions on where the best inventory was, is. Uh, uh, Harry Bermudez was the one who was asking. Yeah, Harry, sharpen your pencil. Here yeah, we go. Get ready, brother. Harry, so he, by the way, just so you could be prepped, what he was, and Jonathan was asking as well, you know, Harry asked, what are the best areas for investment in San Antonio? Jonathan then said, what type of investment? Um, Harry answered, single family. And Jonathan asked, uh, buy and hold or flips. And Harry, what is the answer to that question? You haven't responded to that one yet. So anyway, um, you know, this is some really crucial information. Again, if you want to be a really professional investor, you need to understand where to market. That's incredibly important. I would say arguably some of the most important information for investors is right here. And oh, Harry said he's ready. All right. So for <laughs> Harry, this is just for Harry. All right, Harry. Here you go. All right. So not to disappoint, we'll move into this. So now the where to market. And like I mentioned, I break it down in two separate ways. The first way is by price range. And now you see the months of inventory. So what, what is months of inventory and why is it important? So months of inventory is basically saying, all right, so if no new properties were posted for sale and the same amount of properties that sold last month continued how long would it take for the market to absorb every single house that was available for sale? So the historical average that they say a balanced market between a buyer and a seller to where neither one has any negotiating power over the other is six months. So anytime you start dropping below that, that means that there are not enough sellers and a lot of buyers. There's no inventory. That means people want to buy in that, in that price range, but nobody's selling in that price range. So that if you think about economics, supply and demand, anytime we start dropping below six months, the further we get away from that, that means there's very high demand and lower, even lower supply. So that's going to start pushing prices up, which is what's driving the uh, median sales price up so fast. So you can kind of see in here um, where our shelf has come. But since I've been doing this, it used to be, in the uh, 150 to 200 range before prices really started to jump up. But since prices and number of properties sold has really increased so much that uh, that shelf where it jumps from 2.31 to 3.39 is now from the 250 to 300 range when uh, it used to be the 200 to 250 range. But you can see what these numbers like where, so when, when you ask, uh, where is the best place to invest? So you can kind of combine these two things of a price range is a big key factor, and but also the area. So you can see the highest demand for housing in San Antonio is going to be that 250 and under, where we're sitting at 2.31, especially the 150 to 200 price range, where there's 1.72 months inventory. So across all of San Antonio, this is the entire Sabor um, area. So it includes all the way out to Bernie, includes out to uh, New Braunfels. So across all of that area, there is only 1.72 months of inventory. So if no new houses got listed for sale, less than, take less than two months for every single house in that price range to be sold. So there's a very high demand. Properties are really moving in those uh, price ranges. So when you're buying properties to, if you're wanting to flip or if you're wanting to long-term hold, you can kind of take this into account of where the highest demand is going to be for prices to increase. And I remember the lower that we get from six, 
The more demand there is for that housing, there's less inventory available. So that means prices are going to increase because that is something that appraisers take into account is uh, the rate of which properties are being sold and what the current inventory is. Uh, so if they will give adjustments for price increases for the fact that there's no inventory and properties are moving and selling at a faster pace than what the norm is. So Marco, you got anything? Yeah, so um, you know, quick look at this uh, information, and we're looking at price and, and months inventory. The best target is 150 to 200 range. Then you know, after that is the 100 to 200 range, and then really, like you said, anything under 250 thousand is a good range to kind of operate in. Now, what this doesn't mean is that <clears throat> those are you only want to invest there because there might be a steal of a deal in a different price range. It really all comes down to the numbers, but um, yeah. you're setting yourself for the highest chance of success, the highest chance to make large profits in those ranges. So that's kind of how to look at it. Correct. Is I mean, not saying that there aren't good deals in there. It's just something that you want to take into account. Um, for how long you're going to hold it and when you run your analysis of what your risk exposure is. I mean, we're in an extremely hot market. So I mean, all the way up to 350,000, we're talking less than four months and we don't get to that balanced market until you start getting a half a million to a million uh, property or price properties. So it's just something to kind of take into account when you're analyzing a deal. So let's uh, move on to the next section that goes over the zip codes as well. So now, like I said, I break it down by price and by zip code for the best 10 and the worst 10. So it's no surprise to see when you look at these that all but one are sub 200,000. They're all in that, uh, except for the one, in that 150 to 200 price range. And you look at the month's inventory, you're talking 1.31 month's inventory in that 78233 zip code. Uh, and you look at 244, 250, 247, like those are huge zip codes. There's a lot of homes in there, highly developed, not a lot of land. So how people want to live in those areas they are all kind of on the north side of uh, San Antonio where there's a lot of development going on that prices are just increasing drastically uh, month over month and year over year. So keep this in mind of uh, where you're trying to pick up properties or if you're doing marketing, like I said, pick areas that have uh, like the zip codes here was low months inventory. So properties are moving fast. And the price range is that the average property sells for in that zip code. So, Marco, you got anything? Well, when you look at the zip codes here, a lot of this correlates with the price ranges that we talked about. You know, a lot of them are in that 150 to 200 range, um, 250 and, and lower generally. So, um, yeah, th these are the zip codes you really want to focus on. If you're doing some direct mail, or you're just doing marketing in general, these are kind of some of the target areas that you want to focus in and, and put more of your efforts. Now, a deal based on numbers can be a deal in any zip code, any part of town, um, but generally these are the areas that um, can give you a higher success rate. Exactly. This is the gold. This is the, we, you should change the color of the slide, by the way. This should be like the gold slide or like yes there you go this is the, yeah. this is the money slide right here yeah so i mean like like marco said like it is it's very important to know like where prices are increasing and at what rate so i never say to buy a property based on appreciation uh that oh i'm gonna buy this thing and based on the month's inventory i'm gonna overpay now because i'll make out in the end i would never suggest doing that because like a light switch, it flips and also the market goes down. You don't want to have 
overpaid when markets are sinking. But you can kind of take that into account and say, okay, well, prices are increasing in this area. I still want to make sense today, but you can make a little bit of adjustment knowing that, hey, prices are still increasing and there's a high demand in this area. So taking into account uh, the level of rehab that you need to do uh, to make sure that your house sells and I mean faster than one month inventory than everything else. So with that, we'll go to the next slide, which is the worst zip codes. And you can switch it real quick, Kirk. Other direction. The worst zip codes. He's doing a quick recap. <laughs> doing a recap. There we go. Oh, yeah. The worst Sorry about that. There you go. Oh, you're fine. It's a left arrow, not right. Um, so with that, you can see now I don't take – it's the way I, I analyze this worst zip codes, there's a lot of zip codes where there might be one sale and seven houses for – or one sale property that's sold and seven houses that are on the market, and that's going to drastically throw these things off. So I only take data that has at least 30 active properties – uh, on the market to say like, okay, so now that's a good enough number where you might be able to grab a statistic on that. So it's no surprise to see a lot of these uh, in the upper price ranges of 400,000, 600,000, high 200s, uh, only one or two of them are in the low twos. Uh, and you can kind of look at those areas and they're historically uh, the downtown area, 201, 202, they're much older neighborhoods. So people might not want to live downtown for other reasons besides just price. Um, but like I was saying, if you're buying in this area, now there's nothing saying there's nothing wrong with buying rehabs in here because you think about on a $400,000 rehab, there's going to be a much larger profit margin that as long as you successfully complete the deal. But if you look at 212, for example, it's five months of inventory. If you've got a hard money loan sitting at $300,000 and you've got to hold that thing for five months that interest payment alone at 12, 14%, whatever you're paying for your money is coming directly off your bottom line. So that's where I was saying, looking at this data and making sure, okay, what do I need to do with my rehab to make sure that mine sells in two, three months versus the five months? Do I need, I always suggest getting professional photos. They're inexpensive, 100 bucks, 150 bucks, and they make a huge difference on the MLS getting buyers into your properties. Um, but quick, 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 quick plug, plug. Uh, bright and early productions.com. They're great with uh, professional photography. Okay. Well, they, yeah, the, there you go. Um, but professional photos, but do you need to spend a little, a little more money in the master bathroom, in the kitchen, making the walk-in closet look a little nicer staging. Uh, we stage our properties and we get great feedback from them because the mentality of the buyer is you get one opportunity to make the first impression. So you want to have those pictures look great because if it's staged nicely, professional photos, a little bit of landscaping, that's going to drive people to your property and generate showings for you. So you might want to do that. So if you see high months inventory to high price, look at your competition and see what you need to do to make sure your property is the one that sells faster than the average for that, that area. So Marco, you got it. Yeah, the main thing I would kind of take from this slide, too, is that, um, you know, again, even though it's labeled worse zip codes, you can still have some home run deals in these zip codes. In fact, a lot of flippers like these higher price point homes because there's bigger spreads, uh, exactly. typically. 
Um, however, when you're running your analysis and your planning and you're kind of doing your uh, calculations of pursuing the deal, since he's putting on here the month's inventory, you're looking at three months, four months, five months, six months, plan out longer holding time frames. So this includes your, um, your loan payment if you're getting a hard money loan. This includes taxes, insurance, and everything else that's associated with it, utilities uh, during that time frame and lawn maintenance during the summer, those type of things. So factor that in. That can get yeah. very expensive very easily. Uh, right. We found out this summer, I mean, we had three properties that, I mean, it got hot, very hot, not a lot of rain. I mean, our lawns turned brown very quickly. So getting those garden hoses out there, getting some uh, timers to water your grass every couple of days to keep that green can be one of those things because if you just look at a house side by side, if they're pretty much identical, but one's got a nasty brown dead looking lawn and the other one's got a nice green lush lawn, even if the pictures they Photoshop to make them green when they pull up the house and the lawn's dead, first thing in a buyer's mind, like I might have to resod the lawn and how much is that going to cost? But this one here has got a nice green lawn that's been well maintained. So definitely uh, water your grass in summer times in Texas here. Hey, a uh, quick question. When you lay down sod on your properties, what type of grass do you get? Do you get like Bermuda or St. Augustine or what do you St. Augustine. Get? It's a little more drought resistant and uh, it work, It grows better under shade. So if we got a big tree in the front yard, uh, especially when you're laying new sod to get the roots to grow, we've, I have, I've had problems with Bermuda, uh, but I haven't had problems with uh, St. Augustine. So. Well, there you go. A little extra tidbit. And even more so on that slide, he had those um, months inventory were actually averages. So when you're running your calculations, you might want to add an extra month or two to the number you're seeing on the screen to be a little bit more conservative. Yep. So and that's just another also, thing to look at. But this is also by a zip code where some of these zip codes can get pretty large to not say that there's not pockets in right. certain areas. So definitely just kind of, this is just use this as a general 30,000 foot view of a zip code. But really, if you're wanting to get into these areas, dive down and look at your neighborhood, look at your competition, uh, find your major intersections and cross section in there to see what the months of inventory are for that uh, particular neighborhood that you're, you're working in. Excellent. As we move to the next slide, again, we only have a few minutes uh, more until we're going to be wrapping up. So this is your opportunity as you're watching to ask your questions, if you have particular items that you want to go over, if you have just feedback, you want to throw some comments, maybe some emoji love, you can do that too. <laughs> we want to interact with you. Yeah, and uh, Kirk, are you ready? Well, I was going to ask, do you want me to pop up that San Antonio Economic yes. Indicator? Okay, I'm going to yes, pop Yes, that is where we'll go over. Now, this is something where we said uh, the, the news from the Fed. Now, anybody can research this information. Um, I've kind of found this going through the Texas A&M Real Estate Center. Uh, get you a link over to the Dallas Fed. Now they break down a lot of different metrics. You can get lost in here for hours if you're like myself and uh, data driven. You can look at a lot of stuff, but they run through and uh, break out areas, uh, major metros every single month. So they change the data a little bit, but wanted to kind of run through this and we'll get into like the job growth like we were talking about earlier. But uh, the first chart here is really like the business cycle index of San Antonio. And you can kind of see that we have in 2018, we've dropped below the long-term growth average for the business cycle of business expanding, people growing. As you can see, we crossed over in 2010, 2011 and stayed above the long-term growth all the way pretty much through 2017. 
where we start um, falling below and where we've sitting now is we've kind of leveled off and we're staying below the long-term growth. So things are slowing down a little bit. So we got a question um, from Harry is what is the best way to find the high crime areas? Do you put that in here? I, I don't. Um, I know I didn't go there. Zula, uh, Zulo. <laughs> Zillow and Trulia. Uh, they have some crime rates uh, statistics that you can kind of find for certain areas um, as well. But I'm, I don't worry so much about that as far as price because those crime rates are already factored in to the prices. Uh, so if there's a high crime rate, that's going to reflect in the prices that are already there, the median sales price. So as prices increase, even though there might be a high crime rate, it's still uh, people are still buying in that area, especially if it's in the zip code like 244, which is on the west uh, or east side of downtown. Um, they, it's a typical area. It, it contains areas like uh, Sunrise uh, that have been a deemed, I heard it called by an emergency responder, they called it Gunrise because they were going there so often. Um, but it's, that zip code does contain that area, but prices are still going. But are still increasing and it's on the top zip code for lowest month's inventory. So that's something that would already be kind of priced into, uh, in my opinion, already priced into uh, what properties are selling for is the crime rates in the areas. So as you probably would find, that's why the median sales prices are in the 160s versus the 250s is there's a high crime rate, less desirable area. So I don't worry so much about crime rate unless you're wanting to buy and hold a property now that's something where I might start uh, taking a little bit of count as far as what's your risk level there. And so that yeah. kind of. I would echo that. I mean, San Antonio is not really known to be a high crime city. Now there's definitely crime here, just like any city is going to have that. Uh, but if you just do some basic Google searches, uh, neighborhood zip codes, crime data, you're going to find what you need. I think uh, city-data.com, I believe that's the URL they have a lot of statistics and different uh, on the city, but also zip codes and you can get some crime data there too. So um, Kirk, can you scroll down a little bit to like the, the labor market? We kind of already went over this uh, a little bit. So I won't just spend too much time on it. Uh, it's, I mean, it's basically the unemployment rate uh, remains low, but you can see San Antonio is lower than Texas and it's lower than the United States. And uh, you can kind of see even Texas now has increased higher than the United States. We went, we were, much lower than the U.S. for a very long time. And now that has started to uh, switch again, where U.S. is driving the whole nation as a whole is driving lower than Texas. But uh, I won't spend too much time on it, just something for you to kind of take into account. But the next section uh, talks about job growth in San Antonio. So scroll down a little bit. And you can see here is where job, the types of jobs that were added uh, based on um, – last year versus this year. So you can see we're adding a lot of mining, which that includes the oil and gas industry. So I read another article about uh, the price of oil reaching over $6 a barrel really is driving, that's a, it's a threshold to where people can start, uh, companies can start doing more exploring and producing of oil because it's now profitable again because of the cost it takes to do some of those things. So uh, kind of looking at it, um, some areas that, Retail isn't in here as much. I'm not sure where they kind of classify um, that. Leisure, leisure and hospitality would be one industry, like Kirk was asking, that um, if I saw massive job growth 
in leisure and hospitality, that would something I'd be concerned is because it's it's leisure. It's hosp- the hospitality industry that's based on businesses spending money to host events. So we had a huge boom in that. That means it's gonna be very cyclical. So when markets downturn, that there's gonna be less cash. People are gonna want to go on less vacations. Their businesses are going to spend less money on conventions and events. So that would be an industry that I would think would get hit pretty hard to where uh, some of the other areas that we are strong in, like a government um, in the health and private education services, wouldn't get hit as bad. So something to kind of take into account and where the jobs are being created here in San Antonio. One thing I wish they did have in here was more um, – tech sector driven stuff, but they, they don't break it down that way. Well, and one of the powerful things about San Antonio, I know we're talking San Antonio, is the diversity of the job market market here. Um, yes, there's a big influence from the oil industry and when things are great in the oil industry, you know, there's a lot more jobs and whatnot, but we're pretty diverse. I mean, we have uh, the medical industry, it's pretty dominant over here, military and the list goes on, and uh, right. you know you can see that that uh, when one industry kind of falters, there's still stability in San Antonio, which is good to see. Correct, and I mean the last one, the the uh, just scroll down a little further, Kirk, is, uh, the wage growth here in San Antonio. I always thought this is cool. I wish they would post it every single month because then I would include it in uh, our mark the market updates as far as data of what the average hourly wages are here in San Antonio compared to the US and uh, Texas as a whole. And you can see that we are rising, not drastically, we're always a little bit lower than Texas and the United States because San Antonio is a cheaper city compared to Austin, Dallas, and uh, a lot lot of Houston. So it's something to kind of take into account that prices are increasing here in San Antonio, so that's good. So we want that because we got houses that are increasing at 5% year over year, but if wages stay stagnant or fall, that's going to be kind of a problem. That's one thing that aren't jiving together that should be moving in step with each other. Uh, there's a lot of other factors I would go into, obviously, but that's just one of them that you can kind of watch. So, Marco, you got anything with that? No, no. I, I mean, I, I like seeing that, and you can see that uh, it's 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 rising. As more people move here, there'll be more people taking jobs, and there'll be more demand. Yep. So, I mean, that's really about all I have for uh, this month. I mean, it's been a, I mean, we've been going for almost an hour now. So, I mean, if anybody else has Kirk, any more questions or anything like that? No, I think that's, uh, I think that was a good solid hour, everybody. Good job. So, the whole purpose of this, John takes a lot of time to compile this information and this data. And the reason he does it is so that he could be more proficient in his own business and make proper decisions rather than being reactive to the market. You know, he described a story earlier. He's trying to be proactive and make uh, better long-term decisions, not just based on whims and feelings, but based on reality and data and facts. And this is an awesome opportunity for you to kind of get a, a window in and a light in on how he looks at it, the data he's looking at, what he's focusing on, and applying it to your own business. Whether you're looking at one property or a whole portfolio, these are important indicators and things to look at to make proper adjustments. So 
Leave your questions in the comments section. Even though we're wrapping up here, we will come in after the fact on the replay and answer your questions. If you got some feedback, so if you just want to say hi and say what's up, we got you there too. So we appreciate you watching and participating and, and being involved in, and uh, watching this with us. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, I think with that, uh, uh, okay. No, I think we're good. So um, thank you, everybody, for joining us for the Real Estate Climate Show, San Antonio Market Analysis. We will be back next month, so make sure you check us out next month. Uh, we've also tagged in the, the sign um, Prime Homes, and, of course, this is with Hilco. So make sure you like their pages. They do a lot of work to make this stuff happen. happen. And make sure that you really take this stuff seriously. That's the theme of what we keep doing, talking about. Take it seriously. You know, I'm 33 now uh, and I've gone through a huge upturn in the market, just like most people around my age. But I remember people who were five, six, seven years older than me and they were all making money when I was really young and them set in the market of real estate. And now they are doing other stuff. So pay attention uh, to what John and Marco are trying to teach you here and stick around to next time. Thank you guys. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. We'll see you guys next month. Peace.